Have you ever conducted a client survey? Large companies and corporations tend to conduct these sorts of things when they're looking for answers and seeking direction for the future. But no matter the number of surveys, interviews, or studies conducted, companies regularly fail to uncover those gems needed to make their organization stand out or serve their customers better. Welcome to episode 92 of This Shit Works, a podcast dedicated to all things networking, business development, and relationship building. I'm your host, Julie Brown, and today I am joined by behavioral scientist Andrea Olson to discuss her upcoming book, What to Ask, How to Learn What Customers Need But Won't Tell You. This episode is sponsored by Nickerson, a full-service branding, marketing, and PR and communications agency with team members in Boston, Los Angeles, Miami, and New York City. Visit them at nickersoncos.com. Welcome to This Shit Works, your weekly no-nonsense guide to networking your way to more friends, more adventures, and way more success with your host, Julie Brown. Here we go. Today, we produce more data on a daily basis than ever before. We think that this data helps us make decisions or influences why our customers make the decisions they do. But it's not always the case. 95% of our decisions take place unconsciously. We make decisions based on emotion versus logic. And the truth is, emotion is fast. Logic is slow when it comes to decision making. When it comes to surveying our customers, we are generally taught to ask open-ended questions and to extract insights, whatever that means. But the truth is, traditional customer feedback methods ignore two essential sources of insight, context and behavior. Context and behavior reveal the why behind the what, eliminating the ambiguity of open-ended customer feedback. But this requires a different approach. Edward Hotnet once said, if you do not ask the right questions, you do not get the right answers. A question asked in the right way often points to its own answer. So, how do we uncover the right questions to ask? How do we know if we've been asking the wrong questions all along? I first saw Andrea speak at Inbound, and before her presentation was over, I had sent an email to her asking her to please talk with us. Andrea is a differentiation strategist and behavioral scientist, helping companies better understand their customers through behavioral economics. Andrea is a contributing writer on a spectrum of customer behavior, organizational culture, and leadership topics for Entrepreneur Magazine, Rotman Magazine, and Chief Executive Magazine, to name a few. She's a four-time Addy Award winner, a visiting lecturer at the University of Iowa, director of the Hawkeye Startup Incubator, a TEDx presenter, and a TEDx speaker coach. And today, she is here to teach us all what to ask. Andrea, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. This is oh, great. I'm so excited to have you here. First, I want to just start with a couple of definitions. If people don't know, what is a behavioral scientist? Oh, gosh. You know, well, basically, it's someone who studies and understands human behavior and tries to apply that to whether it be economics, business, a context that is different than just something that would be academic. And do you 
perform studies? Are you analyzing other people's studies? How does that field of science work? That, that can happen. I mean, there's people that are in academics, you know, University of Toronto, uh, Duke have behavioral science, behavioral economics departments, okay. and they do a lot of in-depth studies that they can use that research to help, whether it be governments, whether it be agencies, to better engage and make behavioral change. So a great example would be current situation with COVID, right? Mm -hmm. How can we get people to adopt A, B, or C or change their behavior in X, Y, Z way? But from a business perspective, it's really trying to figure out how to embed change within an organization. So whether that be employees, whether it be that customer behavior, how do we put in the right mechanisms and incentives and basically get rid of those roadblocks to help people get to a goal that they want to achieve. Okay. So I watched one of your TED Talks a couple of times, and it was about why we make the decisions that we do. And in that TED Talk, you said, you know, and I alluded to it in the intro, we have more data than we've ever had in our lives. But you're saying that data is not the answer to discovering why we act a certain way. Can, can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. I think we all rely on data. Like for me, when I'm making decisions, I'm like, what does the data say? What does the study say? When you're looking at reviews, that's data of a restaurant that you're going to go to, you know, that's data. So we all think that we use data to make decisions, but you, your talk lent to the idea that we don't use that data. Right, right. So we, we have this perception that we use data more than we do. And we can, as you alluded to, we can think of those examples where we've used research for those you know, major decisions. Let's say it's looking for a plumber for your house and you look through reviews to see who's a reputable plumber. But you know, when you're, for example, at the grocery store and you're looking for a box of rice, you didn't look back and say, okay, I'm gonna research all the rice options and compare rice and quinoa. And I'm gonna go through this complex set of decisions, right? you're making much more of an impulsive decision, oftentimes based on advertising, exposure, uh, you know, familiarity. And so if you think about all the decisions you make in a day, the, the lion's share of them are really somewhat visceral, right? They're based on things that aren't data-driven. Mm-hmm. Would you say that we only pay attention to data when it helps us make a decision that we already wanted to make? Like we pick and choose the data we think is important or relevant? Oh, most definitely. I mean, if you think about a Google search you do on any topic, uh, and depending on how you pose that question in Google, you're looking for self-validating information, right? It's the whole adage of like, if you use WebMD and it's like, okay, everything I have is cancer, right? I'm dying. (laughs) You're kind of looking for this because you was like, I I just want to make sure that what I'm thinking, other people are thinking the same way. So it's that validation that you need to self-affirm whatever idea you have in your mindset already. So in your talk, you also talked a lot about this thing called the perception gap Mm -hmm. and how that perception gap is different for every single person. A perception gap is different for, well, first, can we define it? Can you define what a perception gap is? And then we'll talk about how it's different for every person and why people make decisions based on that gap. You know, it's very simple. Think about it as 
is take any subject and yourself and let's say a friend or a colleague or a coworker or a boss, how you look at that thing, item, issue, challenge is going to be different from the way they look at it. And there might be some overlap, but there's always a gap. There's always going to be something where you look at something one way and they look at it another. And mm -hmm. that's really what you want to tackle because it's not about solely validating the things that you have in common and how you see something, but identifying what that roadblock is, what that perception gap is to mm -hmm. get to a common direction. So if you and I are talking about a subject and we don't see eye to eye on it because my perception gap is different than yours, mm -hmm. how can we uncover that within the other person so that we can begin to see how the other person sees that subject or that topic? That's a great question. And it really goes back a lot in that TED talk about how to address that. And it starts by truly starting to understand that person better, right? And that begins with what are their past experiences, knowledge, uh, situations that they've faced in this similar circumstance. So if you think about a, a good simple scenario would be, you have a business challenge with a boss and you wanna approach it one way and they wanna approach it another way. But if you have a better idea about where that boss is coming from, like let's say he has a really strong sales background and that's all he did up until he became CEO. He's gonna be coming to that challenge with a sales mindset, right? He's gonna look at something a different way. And that's a rudimentary example, but that's just one facet of how you can start identifying what that perception gap is. Okay, so that makes sense. But that takes a little bit of discovery time to discover and understand. So definitely. Is that where we get to asking the right questions? Is that how we get to asking the right questions or, you know, is, do the right questions come after we understand the perception gap? Exactly. Okay. Right? Like, as you said, exactly. Like, how do we know what to ask? Yeah. Right? If we don't know what we're trying to achieve. And so right. you first have to have that lay in the land and get to know that person on a deeper level to then explore further like where their perception is coming from and start building those bridges through questions to identify how you can get them, get, well, basically get you and themselves to a middle ground of, of common understanding and agreement. Okay. Now your book, What to Ask, we start with what we're doing wrong what companies are doing wrong in querying their customers, in doing. Um, so I worked for a lot of large firms who every 10 years are like, we're going to survey our past clients to see what we did right sure. and what we did wrong. Sure. And if you can sort of walk me through the normal process of that and what is wrong and what we should be asking in those surveys, because sometimes I guess what I'm getting at is if you, have a survey, you're asking the clients all the same questions. So mm -hmm. is that where the problem lies? We shouldn't be asking every single client all the same questions? Or is there a, a set of data questions that we can ask that hit all of the right targets for a, a mass survey of our previous clients? Well, it, it, it really steps way, way back to what you want to achieve. Okay. Right? What question are you trying to answer? Right. What do you want to figure out? And so we often try to use these online surveys because A, they're easy to implement, B, we get a quantity of data, and C, it's something that feels like it's justifiable to the boss, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, 10,000 people respond to this survey and they said A, B, or C, right? Mm -hmm. But it goes back to, to what are you really trying to know? 
So in your scenario, let's say you wanted to find out what your most profitable customers think about X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. Well, at first you're going to start with just those most profitable customers. Who are they? What do they look like? It's kind of that same perception gap issue, right? Where you're trying to build a profile. You're trying to build a, a better, deeper understanding of who the person or company or group is that you're trying to get some information from. Mm-hmm. And then it's a question of being a lot more specific, right? So I'm going to go back to your example where it's like, how did we do today or in 2021? Mm-hmm. What are you going to do with that information? right? How does that become actionable? So they say, well, you do pretty okay, or everything's fine. Now you have a list of 10,000 people that say, yeah, everything's fine. So how do you know what's not working and what is working? You don't. So it all becomes somewhat of an exercise in futility where it's really often used as a justification internally to say, hey, we did talk to customers. Hey, they're happy. Box checked. We can move on. So how do you suggest we talk to our client? I mean, I guess also is, do you break it down? Like you said, sort of like create a profile. Are we doing something different for each profile? There's customers we've worked with for a long time. There's new customers. There's repeat. Are we creating a profile for each customer base and then basing questions off of that customer base? To an extent. I mean, a lot of people say, oh, well, that's, that sounds like customer personas, which is, is not really the case, right? It goes back to what are the business questions we're trying to answer? Right. Okay. What do we want to do from a strategic perspective that either moves the business forward, eliminates roadblocks, changes the company's trajectory, et cetera. Yeah. So it's not so much first about who, but it's about what. And so we need to first define what questions are we trying to answer? And then who is best suited to answer those questions? If you take push everything way, way, way back to the beginning. When you are working with your clients, do you talk a lot about mindset and mindset shifts? And, and I feel like mindset is something that comes up a lot. Like we have a scarcity mindset or we have an abundance mindset and we have mindset shifts. And how does that actually happen? How can we create mindset shifts within companies so that we work better and we behave better and we get along better? You know, that's a big question. And, and there's, I'm going to try to break it down in two parts. First is, is defining, I mean, actually I'll step back even a little bit further. With clients, our engagements really start with, what problem are you trying to solve? Yep. And most of the time, organizations already perceive that they think they know what the problem is and the solution, and they just want you to execute it. So sales are down. So we want to put in a new training program for uh, the sales team. Let's just say as a hypothetical. When sales are down, but we really don't know why. We've already assumed what the problem is, and we've already jumped to what a conclusion would be and are just looking for someone to to check that box when it's probably likely a myriad of issues that are impacting it. And maybe there's something that's even more influential that needs to be changed upfront. That actually could be a a low cost, no cost thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it could be a process issue. It could be a structure issue. It could be a, a sales manager issue. It could be a lot of things. So what we try to do is help clients really get down to the heart, the root cause of what the problem is, what the scope is, 
and then tailor those solutions specifically around what is the lowest hanging fruit that has the most impact that's the lowest cost and move through that process. Now, if we're talking about mindsets, we've got a lot of situations with clients where they, they might claim we, we're an innovative company, right? That's our mindset, you know, using that terminology and, and that's how we think. But, but our challenge is that we're not getting a lot of innovation out of the organization. And so mindset is really not an, an actual behavior, but just a talking point mm-hmm. in the company, right? We want to claim this because it makes us feel good. Uh, it sounds good to the shareholders. And so it's really a proclamation rather than actually the way people think and behave in the organization. And so when we're talking about mindsets, that's, that's the problem is sometimes you have to get down to the reality of you know, what, you, what you think you want to be might not be who you are. And to get there is going to take a, a lot of time, a lot of investment, and a lot of repetition. Because changing anyone's mind, just think about a friend, you're trying to change somebody's mind who's stubborn on something, isn't a one-time conversation, right? Mm-hmm. It definitely isn't a PowerPoint, right? And a lot of organizations think, well, hey, we'll have a town hall, we'll have a PowerPoint, everybody, they'll be on right. It, it never works that way with humans. So that's those are the types of things that we tackle. So behaviors, the way we behave, companies behave, I'm assuming if you're in that company, you're, you, you sort of have a fog of war. You can't see the forest for the trees. Mm-hmm. So is behavior something that is best observed by an outsider in order to have critical sort of analysis on the way your company behaves, the culture? It's just like anything else, right? If it was personal and you had a behavior and you didn't see your own behavior, yes. it's so beneficial for a friend to say, hey, did you realize you know, you're doing it? Crazy. So it's it, outside of whether you hire a consultant or you just have a, another CEO or a, a partner company or someone come in and just take an observation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to give you some insight. It's better when you have a professional come in because they're looking for things specifically that are interconnected to your business objectives and processes and procedures. Right. Uh, but it is essential to get a, an outsider's view because you're in that proverbial bubble. As you said, you don't see the forest through the trees. Right. So I'm assuming when we work with people and we uncover different behaviors, mindsets that have to shift that is another way of saying we need to change. And we, as humans, are averse (laughs) to change. No matter how much we need to, change is difficult. So if we ask the right questions and we start with the why, what are we trying to get out of this? What what are we going to do with this info? How do we transfer. We know what we want to do. We now have the information, but now we have to impact change. That seems like the really hard part, right? Yeah. And and a lot of organizations, you know, as you can tell, I'm into this, you know, upstream validation approach. Okay. A, A lot of organizations that we come across say, okay, we want to change. This is where we want to go. How do we do it? And when you go back upstream, it oftentimes is the leadership isn't ready to change themselves. 
Mm-hmm. They're just wanting to dictate or direct, this is what we want to see. But they're the ones that are modeling the behavior, right? They're the ones that are structuring incentives for certain behaviors. And if the organization isn't not only structurally changed to an extent, but also that's communications, that's specific incentives, and that's how teams operate and interact, then you're never really going to get change, right? It's like telling your kid, okay, I need you to do X. And then you just keep telling them and they just keep not doing it. And you have to look at that. And and this is a big part of the book is what is that context? What is the environment? So are you setting up things to incentivize that behavior? Are we rewarding that behavior? Are you modeling that behavior? Are you having communications of why that behavior is important? Are you talking about outcomes of like, look, you know, this was a great outcome and that benefited you. So you have to do a lot of different facets for the whole change initiative to actually stick. Hmm. A lot of people who listen to this podcast work in large corporations. They're dealing with um, cultural situations and the fact of the culture of the company. But also, you know, the heart of the podcast is networking in one-to-one conversations. Does your book hit on the difference between conversations, gathering data, and just person to person and how we behave in conversations and ask the right questions when it's just one-on-one. Well, you know, all the principles in the book are are really centering around business, whether it be mid-sized businesses, large, you know, fortune 500 businesses, but those same principles you could apply personally, right? Mm -hmm. It's not exclusive to only a business context. So if you really wanted to understand, let's say a friend, a colleague, and really dive into why maybe their behavior was a certain way, why they perceive something a certain mm-hmm. way, or identify new opportunities to engage them better, you can easily apply the same process. I can't remember where I heard this. I think it was actually in one of your papers and maybe in one of your talks, but you quoted Gary Vaynerchuk, who I've talked a lot about on this podcast. And yeah. I mean, I've followed Gary for a very long time. I mean, I on like full disclosure, I followed Gary because he was Wine Library TV and I'm a big wino and everybody knows that. So oh, yeah. secret. And then he started VaynerMedia and then I don't follow him as much now because honestly, he gives me a headache because it's just too much at once. Yeah. Um, but he does have a great quote that I believe that you talked about that it that says content is king but context is God. And we think so much as companies about our content. Are we putting out the content, the newsletters, the project descriptions, our website, like whatever. We worry so much about the content. Can you talk a little bit about what it means to have the right context? You know, and I I like to use really simple examples so everybody can relate to it. It's like, think about, internet advertising, right? So you've gone to a website to look for a product. You Googled something, you went to the website, you looked at it, you maybe decided to hold off. Actually, maybe you decided to purchase the product, okay? And then later on, you have in every other website you visit all these banner ads that are promoting that product, okay? And it's rudimentary, but it's a great way to understand context. This is irrelevant now. Right. I've already bought it to you as a person. I already bought it. So now this constant pushing 
isn't beneficial to you. And it's definitely not beneficial to the company right. because they're wasting money on someone who already purchased something. Yep. So when you think about context, it's not about just the content and saying, okay, we got to have a blog post twice a day. And are we meeting that metric? That's your metric. Mm-hmm. The consumer doesn't give a shit about that. They're mm-hmm. not keeping track of whether you got your second blog post up today. Right. They want you to understand what are the challenges and circumstances they're dealing with. And is that content something that I can immediately use? Is it relevant to my circumstances? Is it, you know, pushing something that I don't care about, right? For example, in this internet advertising scenario. Yeah. So context is way more important because quantity doesn't matter. Right. So if we were talking about companies and we're not talking about internet advertising, because I think everybody can understand that because everybody, like literally... I'll ask my husband, do you think we should get a solo stove? And I just ask him and somehow my iPhone and Alexa and my computer and everybody heard me fucking talking. And then all of a sudden, every single one of my feeds, solo stove. Like, all right, so that's a whole nother privacy. Stop listening to me conversation. Everybody can understand that. How do we put that into sort of a more service-based company role. So most of the people who listen to this um, podcast are in advertise, um, are in architecture, engineering, and sure. construction. So yeah. we're not creating ads. We're creating content around who we are as a company, the kind of projects that we do, what it's like working with us. Um, how do we tap into the context of something like that? That's different from like se- selling a, a product, like a physical product. Right. So that goes back to understanding what challenges and goals your target customer has. And you might have more than one target customer. That's fine. But it's going to be unique to to each group or category of them, especially in, in, let's just use architecture, right? Okay. Someone wants to build a building. Okay, fine. But what type of building is it? And what constraints do they have in their objective? And now you're looking at the bigger picture of, I'm not just delivering a blueprint. We're not just building a building, right? There are other things that they have pressures on Mm -hmm. that you can then tailor those messages to touch each of those very, very micro problems. I think the the issue is, is that we look at things internally. Well, we want to make a sale. We want to get our name out and we're not stopping to consider, but what are the things that that other company individual is looking for. And that can vary within an organization, right? If you're talking to the CEO, that's going to be a whole different list of challenges than let's say a marketing manager. The first question to ask to yourself is why does your target audience want X? X is Mm -hmm. product, your service, et cetera. Maybe you sell multiple products. Maybe you offer multiple services and step back and think about why does someone want to, let, let's use this podcast. Okay. Mm-hmm. So why does your target audience X want to listen to this podcast? Why do they want a podcast? Mm-hmm. And it's not just because they want a subscription, right? right? They want information. Okay. What kind of information do they want? How are they going to use that information? Right. What is their circumstance? What is their context? What are the things that they're trying to accomplish or overcome? Mm-hmm. And now that starts driving what the content is. Right. So it, right. you take whatever you sell, whatever you offer and start stepping back and looking at that big picture. Have the rules of engagement changed or the way that we're allowed to talk to our potential customers or how we should be talking to our customers changed over the course of 
the last two years in this shitstorm pandemic we've been in. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, we, I, I, it kind of, it's interesting because it goes back to change, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say a, a sales, a field salesman is used to going out and visiting customers and now they can't do that. Yeah. And, you know, they feel like their world's turned upside down. Mm-hmm. And it's not so much, we get hung up on the mechanism over the objective and in what we're trying to achieve. So I can look back at the days before the internet and think Mm -hmm. about a lot of things that were, you know, just done by phone. It wasn't the end of the world. It clearly worked because we're here today. And so just because you don't have to visit someone in person, just because you maybe have to use Zoom, maybe you have to use another platform, doesn't really change the objective of what was that conversation about? What were you trying to achieve? What were you trying to learn mm-hmm. from that individual? No matter what you were, what, no matter what the meeting was about, the medium doesn't matter as much. Now okay. there's things like, you know, customer service, or you have to physically go somewhere. I get that. Those are the exceptions, but generally speaking, I think we get hung up on the medium over what we're actually trying to do. I agree. I, I do agree with that. I, I think we focused on what was taken away from us versus what we still had to use. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. So I know I worked with so many companies in this industry who have done these surveys and I, I think the hang up is what you said in the beginning. We now have this information. What are we going to do with it? When you work with companies, do you help them distill that information and say, this is what we're finding and this is what we can do with it? This is how we can make change or? Well, the short answer is yes. The bigger answer is helping them often find that information. Mm -hmm. And usually we really try to approach things with a kind of a multimodal research approach. So There might be a case where we need to send out a survey, but that's going to be very, very targeted and tailored with a specific objective to a specific subset of people that there's a question we don't have an answer for. But more often than not, it's going to be qualitative research. Mm -hmm. It's going to be discussions with people because if you don't have that anecdotal information, you're not going to uncover anything new. If you look at your top three competitors, they're going to send out those same surveys. They're going to get that same information. So what advantage do you have? And the problem is, is that people are usually fearful, right? It's like, I don't want to talk to a customer. They don't want to hear from me. It's irritating. Well, it's because you're looking at it from what are you going to get out of it? What can you do to help them? How can that conversation be something where they say, I actually need X you actually follow through with that yeah. and make them happy, yeah. right? And look at that whole landscape of customers. It's that 80-20 rule, right? There are a handful of customers that are really your best ones and you yeah. just want more of those. Don't worry about the masses. That's not going to be your focus. And it's definitely not your focus for differentiation because those people that are passionate are there for a reason. And you want to really understand what that is. Mm-hmm. You wrote a book called what to ask. Do mm-hmm. you have a favorite question? You know, it's interesting because the framework for what to ask is that contextual questioning, asking why 
and then asking what would be the things that someone would need or want or do within that context. And what I mean is, why would somebody, let's say, want a mortgage? Let's just use this kind of mm-hmm. exercise. And it's like, well, oh, they want to buy a house. Okay, but why do they want to buy a house? Well, maybe they moved. Maybe they got a new job, et cetera. And now understanding that bigger context, it gives you the opportunity to serve them in ways that no one else is, let's say mm-hmm. it's a financial institution. So to me, the most passionate thing that I'm, I am about this book is to try to continue to force myself to always practice what I preach mm-hmm. and always ask why and ask what that context is and examine it. And we actually, in our organization, we're changing things on, gosh, almost a daily basis. I, I'd overstate it and I would say at least a weekly basis. Okay. But it's that getting used to having constant change because then change isn't so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So we change things all the time, every day, whether it's the website, whether it's content, whether it's focus. And sometimes that's because we see something resonating. We learn something new from a client. We see research out in the field. We, we see something new and emerging and say, hey, let's fold that in. Let's see what that does. So I think it's living and breathing kind of this entrepreneurial spirit, this experimental, this embracing change and having incremental change within your organization, within your team lowers that barrier and fear to change and helps you ask that why more often. Mm-hmm. It's the opposite of the, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, do you want to wait till it's broke? Because now that's like a major problem, right? Yeah. Can yeah. you just repair it? Can you just tweak it? Can you refine it? So it, it's in the spirit of what can you do this continuous improvement? What can I do one small thing better today? And then you really never have to work you know, that hard to, to do a big, heavy lift because you've right. been doing it for months already. Right. I'm going to put the link to your website, your TED talk, the articles that you've written. Do you have anything upcoming that we should be looking out for? Oh, Besides oh, the wow. book, obviously. Yeah, you know, I, I do a lot of speaking engagements, um, speaking at the Financial Brand uh, Forum in Vegas in uh, November this year. The Association of Change Management Professionals and doing the uh, Society for uh, Marketing Professionals, SMPS. Um, oh, I'm so a- familiar with yeah. SMPS. Doing a webinar with them on January 25th about... Uh, creating better proposals using behavioral science. Oh, what, do you know what chapter you're working with? I I used to sit on the board of SMPS. Yeah, that's the corporate uh, group. Oh, Um, okay. I am speaking at the Northeast Regional Chapter, their camp event. Oh, Uh, me too. Well, oh my God, that would be so amazing. We'd get to meet each other in person. Time for beers. That's what it sounds like to me. Oh my God, that's so fun. Oh, this is amazing because a lot of the people who listen to this podcast will be going to that camp event. So they'll be able to listen to this before because that's in May. Totally. They'll be able to listen to this and like get all jazzed about seeing you. It's in New York. It's in upstate New York, like George, I think. Yeah, Bolton Landing, something like that. Yeah. Oh my God, that's so fun. Oh, that's so fun. Oh, so many people listen to this podcast are going to be so jazzed. Okay, that's a perfect way to end it. Oh my God, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I asked the right questions. I found the right information. (laughs) There you go, see? Oh, God. Okay, Andrea, this is so great. Thank you for being here. 
bring all the links to you in the show notes. And then hopefully we will meet each other in person in May. Definitely. Definitely. It's a plan. Okay. I will see you then. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye. After talking with Andrea and then listening to the interview a few times during the editing process, I actually have to think that one of the things holding us back in regards to asking the right questions is that we're afraid of the answer. Afraid that the answer will shine a light on the fact that we need to make change, that we need to do things differently, that maybe there is more room for improvement than we would want to admit. We also need to agree that we tend to embrace the data that supports our existing beliefs and ignore the data that would otherwise challenge our thinking. I loved the conversation we had around context. Are we creating content that is self-serving instead of doing the work, the research, to find what would be really beneficial to our clients? Every Wednesday, I send out an email to my contacts. The email doesn't sell anything. It's usually just a story, something that happened in my life. It might be personal, or it might be business-related, but it's always interesting and has one solid takeaway, at least for my readers. P.S. If you aren't on my email list, you 100% should be, so shoot me an email or DM me on Instagram to get on my list. Because each week, I get responses from people on my list thanking me for writing the email, for reminding them about something, for helping them think differently about something, or just make them laugh. I actually had one woman say that my newsletters literally got her through the first months of the pandemic. This is context and content working together. I'm so excited that I asked Andrea what she had coming up and where people could find her. Otherwise, I would have had no idea that we were going to be speakers at the same exact conference in May, this month. And I'm so excited to meet her in person and sit in on her presentation and then follow up afterwards with a beer and get to know her more. If you are interested in attending that conference where Andrea will be speaking and I will also be the keynote, I put a link to that conference in the show notes. Well, since this whole episode was about asking the right questions to get to the right answers, I found a cocktail with an appropriate name for what we are trying to achieve here in these conversations, and it's called Secrets Revealed. Here's what you're going to need. One and a half ounces of Cointreau, two ounces of coconut-flavored sparkling water. Poland makes a great one right now. It is so delicious. Uh, half an ounce of fresh lime juice, three-fourths ounce of pineapple juice, and a dash of bitters. Add all ex- ingredients except for the sparkling water to a shaker with ice and then shake, 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 and then strain into a rocks glass over new ice and then top with sparkling water. If you have it, you could garnish it with a pineapple wedge. Maybe if you have too many of these, you'll start spilling all the tea and telling all of your secrets. All right, friends, that's it for this week. As always, please remember to subscribe and review and share with your friends. Until next time, cheers. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a tip. And remember, you can unapologetically be who you authentically are and still be wildly successful. That's a fact. See you next week on This Shit Works. This Shit Works.